back to the episode of Conservative Roundup. Today I'm joined by Warren Steinle, the MP for Regina Louvan. All right, everyone, welcome back to episode 12 of Conservative Roundup. Today we're jo- joined by the MP for Regina Louvan, Warren Steinle. Hi, everyone, and happy to be here. And thanks for the invitation. Kelma, you're in Mr. O'Toole's riding as well, so three young upstart conservatives and our leaders riding what could be better mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure well i would start by uh, i think we're, we're just gonna start off. we're gonna each ask two questions and go from there so uh let's why don't you tell us uh a little bit about yourself oh perfect the hard the hardball questions first uh so my name is warren steinley i was uh, before becoming an MP, I was a member of the Legislative Assembly in Saskatchewan for two terms. I represented the riding of Regina Wall-Shakers. Uh, I was honored to serve with Premier Wall and then Premier Mole. I always call myself a bit of a hybrid. I was born and raised in a small town in southwest Saskatchewan, so I have uh, been uh, in r- rural Saskatchewan my whole life, and now I represent a completely urban riding, both provincially when I was in MLA now federally in Regina Louvan, but when you start talking with people on the doorstep, I think everyone in Saskatchewan is about one generation removed from the farm, so there's connections right away. So that has been a, a wonderful experience when I was an MLA, and then in 2019, after Andrew Shear became the leader, I decided to join the, the federal ranks and put my name in the hat for the nomination for Regina Louvan and won the nomination, and then uh, became an MP on October 21st, 2019. So wow. it's been a wonderful experience. Before that, I went to university at the University of Regina. I did a, received my honors degree in political science. So I have a BA Hans, an honors in arts. And after that, I actually took the conservative internship program and I worked with Minister Jerry Ritz in Ottawa for a summer and then worked with uh, Lenny Yelch. She was a minister of Western Economic diversification for a little bit then began working for the Saskatchewan government here wow so and then I have uh, I got married almost 13 years I've been married and I have three wonderful kids Jameson Claire and Nixon who are four five and seven wow uh, I bet that's quite the challenge but well I mean not have a challenge to, to take on Justin Trudeau anymore it's just he's made it too easy well, it's, it is hard to find a, a liberal here in Saskatchewan. Michael Cram, who's the new member of parliament for Regina Wascana, was able to defeat long, I can't even remember the guy's name, no, <laughs> was able to defeat Ralph Goodale in Regina Wascana. So that was a big victory on election night. And we had had a wonderful outcome in Saskatchewan where we're actually liberal and NDP free federally. So we have won uh, all 14 Saskatchewan seats for the Conservatives with uh with the 2019 election wow and just as my second question um where do you th- where do you think specifically Aaron O'Toole should keep his focus on gaining seats in excellence such as like bc atlantic canada the gta where are your thoughts well i don't think it's a specific location obviously we need to win where we haven't been as mm. successful before but i think we need to really focus on our economic recovery and creating jobs for people in canada I, uh, when we come through the other end of COVID-19, people are really going to be looking for a party that is focused on jobs and getting people back to work. Uh, Pierre Polyev says it best. I think people need want to earn 
paychecks, not pink slips. And mm -hmm. for for that, I think we need to have a strong campaign focus on securing jobs and uh, making people people realize Saskatchewan and and I, I just go back home, Saskatchewan people, and they want to go to work, they want to support their family and have a, a good job. And I believe that's the same in all areas, whether it be metropolitan BC or to GTA or the Maritimes. We need to gain some ground in the Maritimes. And I think a lot of people are, are going to be looking to see a party that has a plan to get people back to work. For sure. It's great. Uh, Mr. Stanley, uh, what made you first want to get into the political world? Well, when I went to university, I actually was thinking about becoming a, a teacher. So I took a few few education classes and I was very interested in history and, and uh, I was going down that path and I, I was able to take a few electives for political science and it just seemed to be something that meshed with, with me. My family have always been community service and volunteer minded. We or helped with the, the rank and ball diamonds and, and fall suppers and being on my parents were on the rec board and school boards when I was growing up. So I knew that it was important to give back to your community. And I think being in the public service as an elected member of either of anything, a school board, a city council, I think it is the ultimate way to give back to your community and try to make a difference. And that really appealed to me. And I guess the fundamentals of representing people that you, you know, and you, you, go to work with or or trying to make things better for the next generation that's really what interested me when i grew up on the farm in rush lake saskatchewan our neighbor was jack weeb and he had been he's long time friends with my my father and my uncle and he passed away a while ago but he was a liberal in saskatchewan liberals a little bit different but he was a liberal mla and then he was actually the lieutenant governor in saskatchewan for two terms and we spoke a lot, and then he became a senator. So I think some of the desire to be in public service came from those conversations and just watching what how my my family gave back to the community. It sounds like a great inspiration from like having a family uh, helping out your community, giving back for sure. Um, my next question is: uh, What are some of your roles and responsibilities uh, on being the part of the agricultural and agri-food committee? Oh, great question. I, I've enjoyed it immensely when I was first elected. I was on the Public Accounts Committee, which was very interesting with the Auditor General and going over budgets. But as born and raised on a farm, agriculture is still a big passion of mine. And we are doing studies right now about, first of all, we're ending a study about how we grow capacity in the processing sectors across Canada whether it be beef processing or canola crushing or how, how we can grow and like add value and add to our supply chain and make it more secure. So that's been very interesting. And then we're going to move towards a study on environmental practices and how our agriculture already does a great job in ensuring they're lowering emissions and being as environmentally friendly through technology and innovation and really giving credit to some of our agriculture innovators and making sure they receive that credit when they're doing such a good job of keeping emissions down and how we can even enhance that. I think there's producers that are using technology and innovation that people in Ottawa haven't even heard about yet. So we're going to have some witnesses there and I'm very looking forward to that study because we're also going to delve into how the carbon tax isn't really an environmental policy 
I think it's just a tax policy and they're taking money out of farmers' pockets when farmers are already doing the most they can to make sure that they're being as environmentally friendly. Because there's any better stewards of the land than our ranchers, producers, and farmers. It's their livelihood and they want to have the most healthy soil and healthy animals and, and grasslands as possible because that's how they continue to support their family and make money and they want to continue to be, have that great healthy soil and, and agriculture land now until for as long as their family's on that land. So they already are doing a great job and they re really need to start giving the credit for the work they've been doing on on the environmental side when it comes to agriculture. Perfect. Mr. Steinle, during your career of public service, whether it's during the, your time as an MLA or MP, what do you feel is your biggest accomplishment in politics so far? I think when we look back at our careers as public servants, the thing that stand out are the individual people you, you've helped. We've had great success in Saskatchewan with the Saskatchewan party and, and growing our province, growing our population. But when we look at people that we've helped in our office that called and whether it be someone that's having an, an issue with domestic abuse and our office has helped them get the help they need or if there's we get lots of times we're trying to navigate CRA in the tax system or whether it be helping a, a single mother get get her get her maternity pay what she should have got. I, I think those are real really helpful. And I I also one thing that I am proud of when I was in MLA, we brought forward the idea of giving a community grant to legions because lots of our legions were running short of money and I was able to go to Premier Moe and, and pitch an idea where we have a rink affordability program and allow, they get $2,500 a year and allow the legions to partake in a program similar to that to help our veterans and the programs they deliver for veterans are very important. So that's one thing that we were able to do as an MLA, take it forward to the Premier and Premier Moe and put it into the next budget. And I think that was something that was very important and special for, for us in our office to get done. Yeah, it's definitely, big part of reason why public service is so great is because of all the people you can help and all the good good work that you can do. Mm -hmm. My next question is, what do you feel for the upcoming election? What do you feel is either some issues that you would like to for the party to focus on or just like important issues in general that the party should focus on? Well, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but some of the things we need to focus on is getting people back to work. I believe we're the strongest on, on the economy when it comes to political parties in this country. And we showed that with uh, the leadership of Prime Minister Harper and Minister Jim Flaherty in finance coming out of the financial crisis, is that we were the first G7 country to come out of that crisis ahead and making sure there's policies put into place that attracted investment, attracted people to come to this country and, and set up businesses that employed individuals across the country and I think that's another important lesson to go go back and look at what what it was done in the past to make Canada successful right now the liberals are spending the most money in the G7 and we have the worst economic record we have the high, highest unemployment in the G7 213,000 people are looking for jobs from the last report from Stats Canada and that's not good enough if we're spending that much money people should be going back being able to get back to work and being able to earn a paycheck and that's where the liberals have failed time and time again and they failed to re 
response, this Liberal government only responds is at the crisis point. They wait until there's a crisis and they have a knee-jerk reaction instead of actually having a plan to deliver for Canadians. We see it in the vaccine rollout. We see it in their, they haven't delivered a budget in 600 days, which could you imagine if that was a Conservative government? On the cover of every newspaper in the country, yeah, how many days it's been since a budget was delivered. So they need to put a plan in place and when they do, I'm looking forward to stacking our plan up against the plan the Liberals have because I believe we are stronger on the economy and we're going to have a, a, we had a good environmental plan in 2019 and I think we had a better environmental plan than the Liberals, which is just taxing people more. And I think we're going to have a plan that we are going to communicate and make sure people realize conservatives are, care about the environment as much or more than other other parties. We have conversations and people say, well, 80 or 70, 60% of the population voted in favor of the environment. And I actually say, no, actually 100% of the population voted in favor of the environment because conservatives had an environmental plan too, and we care about the environment. Like I said off the top, I have three young children, and I want to pass on a a greener and cleaner environment to them so they can enjoy the lakes and rivers and and clean air and and beautiful sky like we do right now. So no one has a monopoly on compassion or the environment, and I believe we're going to have a good plan to to make sure people realize that across the country that conservatives are strong on environmental issues. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for asking answering the questions. Perfect. Now, my next question is, Mr. Steinleys, where do you see yourself in approximately two to three decades? Is running for premier of Saskatchewan, running for party leader, possibly? Like, where do you see yourself in a couple decades? A couple decades? Oh, that's an interesting question for a politician. I. My, my wife and I kind of plan our lives four years at a time, or in minority governments, about 18 months at a time. We, uh, it's looking that far out to me, I think, dangerous for politicians. We, we love where we're at right now. We, we, Regina Louvan, uh, there's been people have voted for me either provincially or federally for 10 years now. So I take that seriously, and I want to make sure that we do the best to support, support what they have and their issues and take them to Ottawa. And, with, with that question, I always say if, if you're not an MLA, if you're not a member of parliament, you can't do anything else. So I always look at making sure that I represent the people well so I can get back to parliament, either in Ottawa or in Saskatchewan. And then with the other opportunities that arise, they'll come They'll come once you make sure you, you get reelected. For sure. Now, my, my next question is, what type of, of conservative do you identify as and, and why? Our party does, I think, ourselves a disservice as trying to identify one way or the other. I think every party has people that have important issues that they find are, are their top of mind issues. For me, I believe that our, our financial and fiscal security is important because without good paying jobs, I, I'd say as a, a sound fiscal conservative, and we need to get back to a place where we don't have 450 billion dollar deficits and we don't pass on debt to our our kids i believe in the most important thing in public service is leaving things better than you found them something our uh, premier wall was very fond of saying and something he he really drilled into us when we were members of the legislative assembly but i've seen myself more as a a fiscal conservative and and making sure small governments i i believe 
as conservatives, we should all believe that government makes a framework or, or is the the makes the rules of the game. They shouldn't be playing the game. They shouldn't be in what the private sector can do. It usually does it much better than government does. We're seeing right now with with the vaccines that it was the private sector that came up and, and really came forward and brought forward solutions with vaccines. And I think that's important to let the private sector do their job. So I say a fiscal conservative with a, a, a slant towards smaller government would be where I'm at. Great. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Stanley, uh you're appointed as uh, economic development and international trade minister. Uh, how's your experience uh, been in that role? Well, when um, the leader gave me the call and asked if I'd be willing to take on the responsibilities as a shadow minister, it's a very—it's an honor and a, a privilege to have a role like that. I would say it's, it's been fantastic. We've been speaking with stakeholders across the country, whether it be the Canadian Chamber of Commerce or Canadian Business Council, some uh, expert financial analysts at Deloitte or MMP, and just speaking to people that have expertise in the field of economic development and business growth. You learn a lot from those from those people that have been in these roles for a long time. So I've really focused on growing my my knowledge of what people with greater experience than I have seen in this field and what works and what doesn't work. We saw some of the role from opportunity zones in, in the United States that have had some success in the economic development file. So I, I think learning from what people have done and not trying to basically recreate the wheels where we've come come when we've been listening to stakeholders we've done over 75 stakeholder meetings over zoom for since uh, about six or eight months ago when we were able to be honored with this appointment and, and internal trade is something which i think needs to have a lot more focus put on it we could take down some non-tariff trade barriers and really open up our economy nationally uh, and that's something where we're leaving there's estimates imf had estimates around 100 or 80 to 100 billion dollars on the table just from non non-tariff internal trade barriers where we need to have a serious conversation about how we can kickstart our economy and open up some of those those uh new markets just internally ourselves so having conversations with provincial colleagues and people that have had looked at these uh, it's not a new thing where we've had internal trade barriers and we need to really look at how we can open it up to really take advantage of the strengths in our economy across the country. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Steinle, um, on the committee, the Agricultural Committee, what work would you like to see get done while you're on the committee? Well, I'm very excited about actually this environmental study. I think it needs to get done. We need to have a uh, economic impact analysis done on what the uh, carbon tax has done to agriculture across the country, possibly what the new, uh, I call it the carbon tax 2.0, but the, the fuel standards, what they're going to do to basically damage the bottom line for our producers. Philip Lawrence has brought forward Bill 206, which is going trying to exempt some on-farm fuels, natural gas and propane from the greenhouse what's the official name, the Greenhouse Gas Pluton Act, but basically the Carbon Tax Act. So there needs to be some economic analysis done on it, what the liberal policies they put into place and the damage they've done to our agriculture sector. And that's also some of the reasons why uh, Maple Leaf Foods was at 
the agriculture committee a couple weeks ago and one of the last questions the chair who's a liberal asked of the maple leaf food representative was why did you guys build a 318 million dollar processing plant in indiana instead of canada and the answer was basically too much red tape too much unpredictability increasing in, in taxes increases in regulations so we built in the states because right now the economic atmosphere in canada is too unpredictable so that shows a lot and the liberal chair said i'm going to ask this question but i'm probably not going to like the answer and at the end he goes yeah i didn't like the answer <laughs> uh finally for me um is during the while you're on the economic and trade critic what would you like to see different done by the current government about how we can recover from the pandemic and what you would like to see for Canadians to get their jobs back and to get more money basically into the economy? Well, I'd like to see some uh, more, at least some kind of attention taken to the aviation sector. Right now, we're one of the only G7 countries that doesn't have any support for aviation sector. And I feel without an uh, aviation sector that's the third time i said that already <laughs> in canada it really does damage business because people fly to do business meetings in chicago denver and without having the ability to do that i think it ha- hampers our ability to grow we need to open up sooner um you, you just saw texas has opened up almost 100 percent now down south and because of the failures of this trudeau government in the vaccine rollout we're going to be six to eight months behind where a lot of our jurisdictions in the states are going to be. And because those economies are open sooner, they're going to be able to attract investment, say we're open, we're ready for business, and we're going to lose out on some of that initial investment after COVID-19, which is a monumental mistake that the Trudeau government has done again by failing us with the vaccine rollout. And a few things I'd like to see for sure are some red tape reduction. I'd like to see us look at something where we do a one-for-one or a one-for-two if um, a public if a public servant or a department is bringing forward a new regulation, they should find one or two archaic ones that we don't need anymore, that being burdensome to creating opportunities in Canada. Because I think right now there there is enough, enough legislation. What we need to do sometimes is, is cut some of that regulations and, and get out of the way and allow for the private sector to come and do what they do, which is create jobs, create economic prosperity and create growth in our economies definitely thank you great no as growing up uh, as a canadian and um even in the in the free world who were your political inspirations that got you into politics well i did grow up as a canadian and i did grow up in the free world i'm not sure where we're going in that direction but uh i'd say that I do have a couple posters of John Diefenbaker in my office. So he was a prime minister from Saskatchewan, from Prince Albert. So I believe he he was probably an inspiration. And him, a Canadian, is a Canadian. And I I think Canadians should have the right to worship and and vote for who they want. Obviously, there's a lot of things that I find very appealing with uh, John Diefenbaker's philosophy. I would say being... 20-something in Saskatchewan when Premier Wall started to, uh, was the leader of the opposition for the Saskatchewan party and then he became Premier. I, I think he was uh, once in a generation 
politician. His charisma and his uh, public speaking ability is second to none. I still don't think I've seen someone deliver a speech or uh, a leader's keynote address as well as Premier Wall. I hope we do see some more uh, very talented people like that in the not-too-distant future, but I'd say he was one of the people that I, I learned a lot from and, and just show, showing showing how authenticity counts. And I, I think lots of politicians can learn a lot about that. I, I, in our office, authenticity is our brand. We we are who we are, and if people hopefully people appreciate our, our straightforwardness and honesty. And I think that's some things I've learned from a few of my my political my political I guess I, people I look up to in political life. For sure. Now, our next question is: If, if the uh, O'Toole government is elected as a, as a majority, hopefully in, in June, God's bless. But um, what do you, what's your focus or hopes for the O'Toole government to help the agriculture sector within the first year? Like, what do you think should be brought most to attention? Like, scrapping the carbon tax, lo- lowering taxes for the agriculture sector, putting out support. Like, what, what's, what do you think? Well, I think you nailed the first one. I, uh, hoping in an O'Toole government, first hundred days, we, we scrapped the carbon tax, we repealed the tanker ban. We, we've talked about agriculture a lot, but in Saskatchewan, we, we have a lot of energy uh, companies and energy resource companies that are looking to have some help in the tanker ban, uh, Bill C-69, the Norm Moore Pipelines Bill. I have Everest Steel, which is about a kilometer from here, and they laid off 600 employees at Christmas time because they're just not putting pipe in the ground right now, and that's something we really need to have a focus on. And I, I like the idea of a national energy corridor where we we really have the ability to. Uh, I think there's some things we should focus on: is energy independence, being have a secure food supply chain. So if something like COVID-19 happens again, we don't have to have the the worry of not having groceries on the shelf. So being more food independent and increasing our processing capacity for in this country is important and then international trade uh canada has what the world wants we have food fertilizer and fuel and we need to not only sign those trade agreements but also make sure they're being implemented fully so we need to have the follow-up and have people on the ground to ensure that when those trade agreements are signed we're able to follow through and have the access to the markets in the countries that we're supposed to be having because sometimes that doesn't happen all the time people think after the trade deal sign everything's gonna just work itself out and that's definitely not the case and we really need to look at our relationships and grow relationships in india and uh, our leader uh, mr o'toole has talked about kanzuk and having a more robust trade trade with new zealand australia the uk so looking at, at doing doing more with like-minded partners around the world is something that i believe we should have a focus on and it will help our our trade whether it be through energy potash uranium or or agriculture for sure thank you um mr steinley sorry i'm just looking at my question here uh do you, uh, what was my, how do you think the best part, like, how to describe it, sorry. Um, oh, that's okay. Take your time. <laughs> uh, i to think how to wear this. Um, do you think that the youth should be more educated in, like, school systems on the, in how, so it seems like that youth today don't really understand how important the Canadian economy is, especially during a pandemic. Um, do you think that uh, school systems should start educating, uh, like, more about it? 
Well, uh, absolutely. One of the things when I was with the provincial government, we actually implemented some financial literacy programs, which I believe are very important. I'm not sure if they're doing that in Ontario yet or not with Premier Ford's government, but we really introduced financial literacy into the the school system and education system. And I think that's very important. I also think you need to hear also the other side. And in the school system, now you, <clears throat> you get a lot of social activism and they, they hear a lot of uh, on the environmental side, which is important, but they also need to hear their side of how important our energy sector is, how important it is when it's minus 40 that we have natural gas that heats the schools and heats your homes or when you, your teachers are driving to school that they couldn't drive to school if they didn't have oil in their car and gasoline in their fuel tanks and they may be uh, pre- preaching about some some of their dislikes about the energy sector, but also the positives that we have, the, the higher quality of life we have because of the energy sector and the agriculture sector. And uh, I think that we can do better environmentally in all these jurisdictions, but I'm a firm believer, and I'm going to say this until I'm done in public services, Canada's energy more environmentally friendly with better labor standards than anywhere else in the world. And I think the last barrel, barrel and drop of oil that's drilled should be drilled in Canada because we are the environmental high watermark of environmentalism when it comes to oil and gas and agriculture. And we need to be more proud of that. We need a government that is proud of that. Right now, this liberal government treats the oil and gas sector as an embarrassing second cousin. And mm-hmm. I think that's why we have had seen such a decline in investment. And Lauren Gunther article said around Christmas time, since 2015, we've lost 200 billion dollars worth of investment imagine how many jobs that would be now and how many more people would be working if we would have had a government proud of our energy sector proud of our agriculture sector and it's some it's it's things like that in our school system that people need to realize and uh right now our office uh is uh, doing every thursday i think is it every thursday every thursday we're doing uh you wouldn't have this if it wasn't for the oil industry and makeup iphones computers so cell phones, uh, basically textile, hairspray, all that comes from the energy sector and, and petrochemicals. And I think people don't realize sometimes why we have a, a higher quality of life than other jurisdictions, and it has a lot to do with the energy sector. I, did, I was reading an economic analysis of people say oil is on the decline, on the de, on the decline, and the energy for um, information on the information for energy institute at this in the united states said there'll be an increase of a million barrels per day demand for oil at least until 2050 or 60 and that's because the oecd countries will be lowering their usage and, and trying to be lower their emissions but developing countries are going to increase their usage by i think the OECD is going to lower it by 23 million barrels than the other lower uh, developing countries are going to increase it by 30 to 35 million barrels a day. So that's going to offset. So there's going to be a demand, increased demand for oil for generations to come. Perfect. Thank you. Um, Jackson, do you have the last question? Uh, Sure. Yeah, thank you. So, Mr. Stanley, what do you think, because you were just talking about it briefly there for a minute, what do you think the government can do to attract investments, because we've lost a lot of investments over the past year. What do you think they could do to attract more investment into the economy? 
some of the biggest mistakes in the investments we lost, like the Tech Frontier Mine in northern Alberta, which had the agreement, but with all Indigenous communities around it because they saw it as a generational opportunity for people to, to be working in their communities. Also, the, the Saguenay uh, Natural Gas Project by Warren Buffett was pulled out. And they all say the same thing. It's because of predictability, certainty. No one really knows where this government's going to go with new environmental regulations or environmental demands on, on a company. So what we need to do is get back to having an atmosphere of certainty in our, our regulations when it comes around development of resources or even our, our taxes. Uh, I remember in 2017, uh, Bill Morneau was musing about changing the small business taxes and calling small businesses tax havens and tax thieves. Yeah. And when you, you talk like that, eventually business gets scared and they're listening and they, they realize, who knows, they talked about a, a, a wealth tax, a tax on your principal home. All those things are not conducive to attracting investment into your country and into your economy. So when you, you talk about that and, and the raising of taxes, which everyone... I was very critical of uh, Andrew Shear and Pierre Polyoff when they said, well, if they're going to balance the budget, they're going to have to raise the GST by, by two or three percentage points. Well, it's just math. It's not, it's something that if they're, they're, there's only one way to get back to balance and it's either to lower expenses, increase your economy and increase your GDP or raise taxes. So that uncertainty business people take, take notice of. So we really need to get back to an atmosphere of certainty when it comes to taxes, environmental regulations, and let the, when people are doing their business plan, know this is going to be the regulations and the taxes for the near, the near future so that people can really make a, a, a intelligent decision of where to invest their money. All right. Thank you very much. For sure. Well, it was very great to have you here, Warren. It was, it was a real honor. Well, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate the opportunity. And uh, I heard you had Peter Kent on before me, so that's a tough act to follow because he has a lot more stories and he's been, he's had a lot more interesting opportunities in his lifetime than I have so far. But uh, uh, it's an honor to be on and uh, follow the venerable Mr. Kent. And you guys are doing a great job so i'm looking forward to seeing what the podcast looks like and hopefully you guys can grow your audience and make a difference because that's everyone's like how do you make a difference in in uh, an election or, or how do you help turn the tide and get a conservative government well it's doing podcasts like this getting the message out and talking to younger people because we need that next generation of voters to realize that conservatives are the way that they're going to have a a job and a secure future and we really want to make sure we get support within the, the next generation of voters so thank you guys very much for all your hard work for sure i hope we can i hope we can do this again absolutely hopefully after we have a, a uh, conservative-led air no tool government for sure thank you warner it's great to have you mr stanley have a great Take day care, mr stanley Welcome back to the episode of Conservative Roundup. Today I'm joined by Warren Steinle, the MP for Regina Louvain.